Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. Today I want to talk about slavery, but I am not speaking about the kind of slavery that happens around our world every day or what went on in our country 150 years ago. This podcast is not about that. I am speaking to Christians. Specifically, I'm speaking to Christians who willingly came to Jesus Christ and said, I want to be your slave. Now, when God regenerated you, when you were converted, when you were born again, when you became a Christian, you probably did not use those words, but that is what happened. And so I'm talking about Christian slavery. And the reason that I want to put it in that framework is because, as I've said a few times, I live on the underbelly of Christianity, and so the people that generally come to me are in various stages of disappointment, and that's an understatement. Many times they are in horrific conditions that they want to change. A lot of times that they are angry. I'm not put off, or or I'm not offended by people that get get angry. I, I really... Not, especially in the context that they are hurting and they can be venting or lashing out. I totally get it because I've been there before and so I don't find it offensive. I consider my audience. And the particular audience that I'm talking about is a hurt group of people. And that is where I spend most of my life. So I do see a lot of it. But there is some hard news that they have to hear, and so I want to use some very clear language, not to be ungracious, not to be unkind, but you really do need to hear the truth. And Because here's the thing, there, there are times when reminding yourself that you are not serving an Americanized version of God is vital. And the truth is, we can live in this wonderful country for a, an extended period, and, and we can benefit from it and praise God. But if we are not careful, we can put ourselves to sleep thinking that a, a certain kind of lifestyle and certain kind of relational connections and outcomes should always be how things should always be. And honestly, that's an Americanized version of God. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches a cross theology, not just that Jesus died on a cross to redeem us from our sins, but we are to take up our crosses as well. And sometimes we can go to sleep and forget that. And then when things do not turn out according to how we had hoped, expected, maybe even demanded, we can find ourselves in a a serious funk where we are angry and, and maybe even walk away from the faith. Those are the kinds of people that come to me. They are part of a demographic that come to me. And so I'm using what may sound like stark language, but it's very biblical language when I I said, let's talk about slavery, that we are slaves, bond servants, servants of Christ. And so I titled the podcast and the article that I am sharing with you right now, When the Slave Battles His Master for Ultimate Control. 
And that is what is happening when we have a life that we don't want and and we argue and kick and scream and 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 we we say things that we shouldn't say, but what what we are battling, we're battling God ultimately because He is not giving us what we want. And so I want to talk about it in this podcast. Again, if you want to read what I'm sharing with you, I would love for you to do that. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for this title, When the Slave Battles His Master for Ultimate Control. Let me give you a couple passages of Scripture, one from Romans and one from 1 Corinthians. Paul said in Romans 3, For when you were slaves of sin, there's that language, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? And so it's, it's kind of ironic here uh, that everybody is a slave. Now, in this sentence, Paul says, you were slaves to sin, but he continues in Romans 3. But now that you have been set free from sin, you are not a slave to sin any longer because you have become a Christian, he says, but you have become slaves of God. And then in 1 Corinthians, he he uses this interplay again. He says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant to Christ. So he's using this uh, antithesis here. If you were a slave, like a physical slave, and God regenerated you, you are free in the Lord. And then he's saying that if you were free in the world, but you became a Christian, you became a a slave to Christ. Now, he says why in 1 Corinthians 7. He says you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. The implication is become a slave to Christ. And so I want to talk about slavery here. You are a slave to Christ. And when the slave gets in this gets in this dust up with his master, talking about when the Christian is fighting God for ultimate control over his life. you got a significant problem. There is a battle for sovereignty, and honestly, it will never cease until the, until the Lord frees you from your body of death. Because there will always be this tussle. There will always be this tension going on in your soul. And I don't care how spiritual you may be are in reality or how spiritual you think you are. There's going to be days where it's just not going to sit with you with whatever's going on in your life. Somebody disappoints you. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's your neighbor your pastor, someone in the church. Something happens to you. And there's a narrative that has been that is being written out right there before you. There's heat coming into your life, and you don't like that heat. And so there will be a battle for sovereignty. Now maybe maybe these will not be long extended wars. Maybe these will be just little skirmishes skirmishes in your life. But however, nevertheless, uh, they will never cease until the Lord frees you. Until then, you, you have to wrestle with who has ownership of your life. And so the slave analogy 
It's a good one. And though I am aware that, that it's a trigger word in our, our woke culture, and that's not my point here. I, I, most of our people can think civilly, and, and they can patiently listen, and they, they process information, and they, they're like the, the cow sitting up under a shade tree on a summer day chewing the cud and and they really reflect upon it and they give reflective responses and they're not like this woke culture that is more like a ready fire aim no and and i realize when you talk about or when i talk about or use a slave analogy it can trigger, but that's not my point. I mean, really, the point that I want to make is is what I've already said that that we can lull ourselves to sleep into an Americanized version of God, and sometimes we need to wake up, and we need to to realize. And so, I want you to think about, think with me about the implications of Christian slavery. God, as Paul said, God bought you with the price of his dear son. You do not belong to you. You belong to another. Now, how does that grab you? How does that grab you that, that you are you gave up your freedom? You gave up your rights. And so I want you to think as much as you can. Think like a slave. But instead of a cruel taskmaster, your owner is amazingly sacrificial and sovereign. As sovereign Lord, he is the writer of your story. Think slave again. That's right. Your story is not your story. Somewhere back in time, you decided to give up your rights to your story by giving the pen, your pen, over to God. You came to that place where you ask Him to become the script writer of your life. Sometimes we Christians can act like impatient parents. You know, when the child gives us something that does not meet our our standards, we snatch the paper from the kid and say, give me that. Let me show you how to do it. The dad in the garage, he's teaching his young son how to, to drill a hole or cut a board or, or to use a Phillips screwdriver, and the son is not getting it right. Give me that. Give me that. Let me, let me do it. But in this case... We try to grab the pen and the paper from the Lord while telling Him how we want things to go for us. You may see this, some people see this co-authorship <laughs> worldview, and maybe you have seen it on, a, on the bumper of a car. The bumper sticker says, God is my co-pilot. That's that co-authorship worldview. And you know what that really means? The co-authorship worldview, it means, Lord, I will let you be in control as long as, as, as long as I get all the things that I believe I should get or all the things that I want. That's not, that's not even a co-authorship worldview. That is 1A, 1B for sure, but, but you are 1A and God is 1B because you're, you're really directing the thing. But sometimes you'll see that bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. Now, it's kind of cute and it's a bit hokey, 
But worse than that, it's sloppy theology. The Lord God Almighty does not work for Uber, where you get to tell him where to take you. God is not your Uber driver. Most assuredly, you get to cooperate with him, but you're not 1A. No, you're 1B. And you can make your plans, but, but never think that your strategies are his. And so you make them as best you know how, but you trust him to direct how things will go. He is the script writer. Your story is not your story. Are you okay with that? You see this all the time in marriages. Oh, yes, we are Christians. This is pre-marriage counseling. We love the Lord, and we understand that it's going to be hard. There's really one A, one B going on there, both the guy and the gal. You know, they're 1A and, 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 and God's 1B. They would never say that. But then they get into marriage and they begin to see things, experience things that they did not see or experience before. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. God is not my Uber driver. I can't tell him how to do what I want him to do. There are four stages to every story. I'm talking about your story. It's not your story. And so when you look at a story... There are four stages to it. When you turn on the television to listen to the news about your life, what is happening with you today? What do you see on the television news? How are you? What are your temptations, your troubles, your trauma? Now, perhaps today, as you turn on the television and see the story of your life, it's one of those encouraging human interest stories. God is good. God is great. Well, good for you. But I imagine for many of the folks in our community, many folks that are listening to this podcast, when they turn on the television and look at the story of their life, the, the news is bleak. And for those of you who are in the middle of a sad saga, it will serve your soul well to know that what the Lord is scripting for you has a story arc that takes you to a happy ending and so, as I was saying, all good stories follow similar plot lines. And though you may not feel like you're living in a good story, you are living in a very good story, but you're living in maybe not the stage that you prefer to live in. All right, so here are the four stages of a story. Let me give you them as labels, and then I'll explain the four to you. This is the order of a good story. Number one is simplicity. Number two is chaos. You know how the story starts. Everybody's sitting around, eating, drinking, laughing, swapping stories, giddy. It's kind of a simple, innocent life. And then chaos, hell breaks loose. And then number three, there's a solution. And then number four, we're back to simplicity, but it's a different kind of simplicity. And so that that is the four stages of a story. There is simplicity, then there's chaos, then there's a solution, and then we are at another kind of simplicity. So the first simplicity, everyone is satisfied with no unmanageable problems. Now that's the way it was when I became a Christian. 
early in my Christian life, God saved me, hot dog. I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I'm seeing myself in the mirror of God's Word. I find myself a local church. We're lifting our hands, praising the Lord, and we're doing Christian things. It was such a simple time back then. So innocent, so wonderful, so happy. The story continues. Number two, chaos. Trauma enters. And ever-increasing levels of dysfunction unfold. And that was so very true for me. Like a good story. And this is the part where, actually, usually this is the part where people come to us. They don't typically come to us at the, the first stage of simplicity when everyone is satisfied with no unmanageable problems. They come to us at the, the chaos point when trauma enters with ever-increasing levels of dysfunction is unfolding right before them right now today. And they're hoping that we would can move them along to point number three, which is solution after much agony, agonizing. Redemption comes in the nick of time, and you've seen that movie before. And then as the credits roll, or shortly before that, we're back to simplicity again. Everyone is happy, but it is a different kind of happiness. I've said it this way in another article slash podcast. There is a simplicity on the other side of complexity, but it is a simplicity that comes after great struggle, a few defeats, and even casualties of war. This second simplicity that is it's really different than the opening scenes where everyone is satisfied with no unmanageable problems. That is a kind of simplicity. That's the simplicity of a, of a two-year-old toddler. But there is a simplicity on the other side of complexity. It is different. There are some words that attach to it, like maturity and gratitude and rest and humility Now, that is a simplicity, but you know that those things, you will not experience those things without a great battle. And so the four stages of a story arc, simplicity and chaos, solution and simplicity. It is crucial to be careful when you think about your storyline. The author has not finished writing And the temptation would be to grumble about where you are in his plot as you squirm in the theater while watching yourself on the giant screen. You may succumb to the temptations of grumbling and complaining and cynicism and negativity. Grumbling is like a a low-grade dissatisfaction that regularly rumbles through your conversation. And you meet this person, kind of Eeyore-ish, and, and so you feel the rumbling, the regular rumbling of their dissatisfaction that they are grumblers. Complaining, complaining is a little different. It is active whining about a person, a place, or a thing. Uh, grumblers are just, they're just grumblers. They kind of wear you down. Like evolution, you know, in a billion years, she's worn down to a, a nub because of this regular rumbler 
grumbler type person, but complaining is active whining typically about a person, a place, or a thing. I didn't like I didn't like the theater. I didn't I didn't I didn't like the traffic. I didn't like that person. You know, it's just complaining, targeted, active whining. Cynicism is uncharitable suspicion about something, usually based on painful past painful experiences, and this is the person that, that takes their, their their past painful experience, and they map it over what they are looking at, and that gives them the interpretation of what they're looking at, when in reality, they're not, that's not what is really going on. But they're cynics, so they can only look through one window, and it's the window of cynicism, and so they make uncharitable suspicions because they're mapping their experience over what they are criticizing and the negativity. And so you have grumbling and complaining and cynicism and negativity. Negativity is the person who is living in a half-empty glass of bitter tea as opposed to the optimist uh, who is living in the half-full glass of sweet southern tea. Your responsibility to your slave owner, God Almighty, is not to complain about your conditions. If you know him the right way, you understand that he will take care of you no matter what. But he's not obligated to provide you with all the things that you believe you need to be happy. Now, when I say not complain about your conditions, I typically would like to say here that you want to distinguish between an episodic complaint versus a pattern of complaining. You don't want to complain episodically, you know, once a little here, once a little there. You don't want to do that in an episodic way. And you definitely don't want to be characterized as a pattern like this is who you do. But if you do complain about your conditions, you need to reacquaint yourself with your slave owner. You see, no loving parent would give their children everything they wanted when they wanted it and how they expected you to provide it. That parenting model is doomed to failure. And though the childish person will be happy that they got what they manipulated out of you, they will disrespect you later. God is not manipulatable like that, which that is the problem that we can't manipulate him, but the truth is you don't want to manipulate him. Think about your own parent. If this was true, that you were able to get everything in the world that you ever wanted out of them, Parents have to accept this truism. Here it is. You can love me now and hate me later, or you can hate me now and love me later. Uh, one of my profs, Wayne Mack, told me that, or told our class that. He was using it in a counseling context, but it, it doesn't matter. You can use it in virtually any context where you have to, where you need to do hard things, where you need to say no to somebody. But you know that when you say no to somebody, they may hate you now. But the truth is they will love you later. But if you're the parent that always gives in to what they're asking, they will love you now because they have all the ice cream in the world they ever wanted to manipulate out of you. But they will hate you later. And so the truism is you can love me now and, and hate me later, or you can hate me now and love me later. Many adult children have come back to their parents decades later to express gratitude. 
for not falling before the child's manipulations. And so let me be clear here. Your story is God's story, and He is moving the script to a conclusion that will not only be satisfying to you, but it will be glorifying to Him. Now, I trust you understand this truth. Now, maybe you don't like Him now. I know hate's a strong word, and it's not one that I typically use, but I'm quoting my prof, and, and, and so there you go. And so you might not like what God is doing now, but I can tell you from experience, because now I do. I have collected decades now. I'm an old man, and I can look in the rearview mirror, and I can see this too. It is true. There were times where I did not like God because he was not, I could not manipulate him to give me all that, that I wanted. I didn't like him then, but I love him now. And I think, thank God that he didn't give me all the things that I tried to manipulate out of him back then. And so your story is God's story, and he's moving it to a moving the script to a conclusion. You must know that God is working for your good, but sometimes we can find ourselves in that deep ditch between, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The most transformative reminder that you could ever recall daily is one of the most ancient truths that you know. Ironically, you don't need new truth in your times of trouble. You need a well-worn, well-used old truth. Specifically, you need the gospel. Do you remember that gospel? Do you remember that story? Let me give you a snapshot of the gospel in just a handful of words. Here it is, quote, It pleased God to crush His one and only Son. That's Isaiah 53. 10. It sounds horrific to the natural mind, and it is. It pleased God to crush His Son. But there is something more in-depth and profound about the suffering of Jesus Christ. It is the plan of our redemption. You and I were born into sin, totally depraved, not inherently good and prone to do evil, which always had self-centeredness at its core. You, like me, needed a divinely inspired rescue. Christ is your redemption. The author of your story loved you so much that he became a sacrificing redeemer. Whenever I complain in an ongoing way about the story that God is writing for my life, I'm being selfish, to say it quite honestly. And I need to change my mind about how I think about him and how I think about my circumstances. Now, for some of you, what I'm saying feels too hard or perhaps ungracious. Maybe you do believe that you need to change and that you want to get on the other side of complexity, but you can't get there today. If you are in that unchangeable, painful place and feel as though the burden upon your back is too significant, then will you do this? Just do this. Merely acknowledge your anguish of soul to God. I'm not telling you to change by becoming something that you believe you can't do now, and I'm not criticizing you for being stuck. But I am warning you about a complaining spirit. Before you can index forward in your heartbreak, you have to have a heart of hope. God is writing a phenomenal story of grace in your life. It is a heavenly story. And the real good news is that 
you do not have to wait until heaven to enjoy what he is doing for you. And so I'm asking you just to start simply. Talk to God, but, but not about changing your circumstances, not about changing your oppressors or whatever's going on. I, when I say talk to God, some people will hear that and say, well, I've been asking God for years to change this and change that. And I understand that. That's not what I'm saying. Talk to God. Ask God to give you a heart attitude that roots out any strains of bitterness. And so I'm, I'm merely asking you to acknowledge your anguish of soul to God and ask Him to give you a heart attitude that roots out any strains of bitterness because you can't move forward. You can't move forward with a bitter and critical and complaining, unforgiving spirit. And so I'm not asking you to move forward, but I'm asking you to start just by simply talking to God. Again, not by changing your circumstances, but just asking Him to begin this little bit of process of changing you. The title of the podcast is, When the Slave Battles His Master for Ultimate Control. You don't want to do that. You're welcome to read this article. I would love for you to do that. I would love for you to share it. I also have some questions here under the call to action part at the bottom. Someone wrote in today and, and, and they said they wanted to print the article. They didn't know how to do that. And so it's really easy. Roll down to the bottom of the article, like right under the call to action questions. What you'll see is a, it says print, PDF, email, just Hit those icons, and it will take you to the page where you can print it off. And so that feature is there for you. But I would love for you to work through these questions here. And it would be great if you could share this article, this podcast, with a friend, especially if you are stuck. Or maybe you are the discipler of someone who is stuck. Well, if you are, share this with them and, and encourage them, persevere with them walk with them and as always if we can help you we have our free forums and you're welcome to ask us there your daily drive is a production of rickthomas.net a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives if you'd like to learn more about our community please go to rickthomas.net rickthomas.net